welcome back to At the Devil's Ball. I'm Samuel Numine, and with me as always is my co-host and founder of The Feast, Nathaniel Johnson. How you doing hey. today? Good. Hey, everybody. Uh, so we're doing uh, the Immortal Classic, uh, yes. John Carpenter's version of Who Goes There, The Thing, uh, the sequel to the prequel, The Thing that we did last week, mm-hmm. although not entirely a sequel, but you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and joining us, we have a friend of mine, uh, Terry, from uh, Strange Highways Podcast. It's a podcast about the Twilight Zone. How you doing, Terry? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing today? Not too bad. Um, so did I get that right? Your podcast is uh, focuses on uh, the Twilight Zone, mostly the original series? Primarily, yeah. That's where uh-huh. right now um, we're wrapping up the fifth season of the original series. Um, but we have covered the new iteration by Jordan Peele. And then we do what we call detours. So we cover anthology storylines like Twilight, or I'm sorry, uh, Tales from the Crypt. And right. we've done Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. So we're going to, we go in different directions. So we're always looking right. for z- suggestions. What's been your favorite uh, Twilight Zone episode so far? Oh, geez. Uh, well, if you had to name one. Yeah. Under he, yeah he's Alive is probably one that sticks out the, the most to me. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's from season four and there's just an amazing storyline to it. And it speaks to a higher level. Um, it actually, it, it speaks to times right now. So if you know anything about the episode, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you've never seen it, definitely check it out. But, and then, you know, uh, Terra 20,000 feet is a, an amazing episode as well. So one of the classics. Sure. And I, I think Twilight Zone is like the anthology series of anthology series in a lot of ways where, you know, it can go, wherever the story needs it to go it can go deep it can go shallow which it doesn't do shallow very often but it does sometimes but a lot of times it's got you know a lot of deep levels to it and uh i think that works in well because i think the original story of who goes there and the thing uh would actually work pretty well as a as a twilight zone episode myself Mm -hmm. so i think we all agree that this is one of our favorite movies i think it's john carpenter's masterpiece uh what do you guys think yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, uh, uh, objectively speaking, I think this is probably the best piece that John Carpenter ever did. Um, the 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 film professor in me would absolutely say this movie. It's not my favorite John Carpenter movie, but um, which is? But, uh, yeah, I'm actually just a fan of In the Mouth of Madness. I mean, like, I just yeah. love that movie. But, um, but it's not objectively. Uh, it's not the thing. I mean, right. this is a, uh, is an exceptionally well crafted film. So. Right. Terry, what do you think? The best? Well, be, but before I, before I say that, I have to preface with Happy John Carpenter Day, because it is today. It's his birthday. Oh, well, there we go. No, Happy birthday does, to John Carpenter. It so that worked out well. I'm not, celebrating. Got my Halloween shirt on. Um, this is... No. Um, this, uh, the thing is my favorite of all of his films. Uh, it just... For me, it speaks to a different level. Um, it's mm-hmm. got a great storyline, great cast of characters. Um, the The makeup is amazing. I mean, we'll go into all of that, but right, right. it it's on a higher level than any of his other movies for me. But Halloween Absolutely. is always like kind of yeah. neck and neck. Halloween's the one I watch the most, but this is the one that I think's the best. Um, but before we get into all the nuts and bolts and the nooks and crannies and the things and and things inside the things and the things inside those things. Uh, let's uh, hit up the vital stats and yeah. get this ball rolling. Sure. So uh, the film, of course, was made in 1982, uh, based on the story by John W. Campbell Jr., the, uh, known as Who Goes There. 
the screenplay was written by Bill Lancaster, and of course, the film was directed by John Carpenter, the legendary filmmaker. Um, we've got a, a very small cast of basically 12 characters. Uh, we've got Kurt Russell as uh, McCready, uh, Wil- Wilford Brimley, uh, the great Wilford Brimley, the late Wilford Brimley, um, as Dr. Blair. We've got uh, Keith David as Childs, T.K. Carter as Knowles, David Clennon as Palmer, Charles Hallahan as uh, Vance Norris, Peter Maloney as George Bennings, Richard Massour, uh, who Sam and I would know uh, if from nothing else, uh, the Tommy Lee Wallace It miniseries. He plays yes. uh, adult Stanley. Uh, we got Donald Moffat as Gary, Joel Polis as Fuchs, Thomas G. Waits as Windows, and uh, that's pretty much everybody. Then there's just a couple of uh, uh, the Norwegians, uh, Norbert, right. Norbert Weiser and Larry Franco. And um, one, of, one of the best dog actors I've ever seen. Yes, and then there is uh. a dog actor. Uh, also, like little thing like uh, the Adrian uh, Adrian Barbo did the voice of the computer, right? Uh, and Jed Jed the dog. Right. Uh, Jed, that's what it was. I couldn't remember yeah. the dog's name. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that's basically the cast. Um, right. And they're basically, uh, it's the story more or less takes place in a, what's supposed to be a research station. Right. Uh, we don't really know what they're researching. They don't really tell us that. I guess it's probably what, weather? Yeah, or, weather, you know. Yeah. Geology. Uh, yeah. Whatever the hell they do down there. Getting a... Uh, Getting things from crates to, to put in a creep show. I, I don't know. Right, whatever. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, of course, the plot is uh, if anybody's unfamiliar, the general plot is uh, uh, Rand, a dog sort of gets chased right. onto, their, uh, onto their location, um, chased by a man who, I guess, if you actually speak Norwegian, he's literally saying, The dog is an alien, shoot it, shoot right. it. Um, he calls them. He calls them idiots at the end, which is yeah. one of the only words I caught. You know, when yeah. he was yelling. <laughs> I I, I, re- I looked it up and read, it, and apparently the Norwegian is actually Norwegian. Um, and so if okay. you speak Norwegian, the movie is immediately right. spoiled. Um, yeah, I did. I did look up the translation for that as well. Yeah. Just and apparently, just for it's, shits and it's legitimate Norwegian. He does yell. Right. He, the dog is an alien. Um, it'll kill you all. Um, right. But uh, it, uh, they shoot that guy, thinking he's nuts. And right. uh, then they discover that uh, there is an alien among them that can. They shoot that guy through the eye with a pistol from God knows how far Norris, away. Which Norris, that's a, that dude's Norris a good shot. Yeah, Norris. Yeah. Dead eye. Pun intended, yeah. I guess. Dead eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Norris is clearly ahead of a hell of a shot, and we'll 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 talk about. Uh, I want. I I would love to talk about Norris. He's an interesting character, but um, but the idea is that eventually that they find out there's an alien among them that can replicate right. anything it absorbs genetically, and it takes over them kind of one by one, and we end up having uh, a rather fun game of paranoia. Yeah, nobody, nobody knows who is who. Um, with the only character uh, that we're left with 100% on is McCready. Right. And uh, even that has been debated over the years as to the end. But, uh, yeah. I, well, I mean, I, I, I think McCready is definitely not the thing at the end of the movie. But um, Childs, I, I can see right. the argument. McCready, yeah. I, I don't I, see. I personally, and I guess we'll skip forward to that since it's brought yeah, up. I, mean, well. I, I, think, I think neither of them are, but, you know, yeah. I, I can see the arguments of, of either or both of them. Uh, more so Childs than McGrady, obviously. But uh, what do you guys think? I, I think the the fact that it's left uh, to suggestion um, mm-hmm. because of certain things that are shot in that scene and that it's it definitely it, it's a fun scenario to play out in your mind. But I don't think that either one of them are. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it also is left to 
yeah. well, there could possibly also be a sequel after this. So right. I, and which could have been interesting, but and was, which is another thing that I think makes it fit well into the Twilight Zone. And that you know, I, that wasn't why why we had you come on for this particular movie, particularly, but it it, it does fit, you know. Most definitely, and it's fact that it's uh, it's derived from, you know, a time where they were taking storylines from uh, like the astounding science fiction, yeah, which right. what this was in '38. Yeah, and then the what was the first uh, movie version? Was that like '52 or something? '53. Okay. 51, uh, the thing from another world, which is incredible if anybody's yes. ever seen it. Yeah, I, I I haven't seen it in forever, but yeah. Um, and I know that Carpenter himself was a fan. That's why he did it. Right. Uh, it's it also shows up in Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on the TV when Tommy Doyle's watching television. Right. Um, as far as the ending uh, for me, uh, I think I'm with. Um, I think it was. I think Kurt Russell said this just a few years ago when the thing really uh, once again re- had a resurgence, like the film right. came once again, like everybody like, holy shit, the thing. Um, somebody apparently asked him in an interview and I think he said, who cares? Right. Um, I think that was exactly where he's like, who cares? The point is that neither one of them yeah. can be sure the other one isn't. And, yeah, and uh, that's, it's the discussion where the fun's at. It's not, yeah. you know, knowing one way or the other. Right. Just like the show, like we don't really concern ourselves with, you know, rating films or, or whatever. We just want to have a discussion on it and yeah. have fun with it you know yeah. that's this is the perfect kind of film for that because you can discuss all day you know when did this person get infected when did that right. person get infected who well, who, I, who who broke into the to the to the fridge you know all these different things and at the end of the day it's just i do remember story. i do remember seeing some guys like youtube manifesto mm-hmm. uh years ago that was actually really well done um that was basically him saying like child is definitely the thing Right. Um, I should have checked it out again before this one, but if memory serves, it had a lot to do with like tracking alcohol throughout mm-hmm. the narrative. Um, and like, uh, like uh, Blair is in the cabin, they give him the vodka. Right. And when they go to find Blair later, the vodka is still there. Like the thing doesn't imbibe alcohol. Right. So when Childs at the end refuses the flask, that's like, he's definitely the thing. Well, um, and, and also I've seen people point out, you know, like that he's not, he doesn't, you can't see his breath as much as, uh, yeah, as uh, McCready or you know Dean Cundy, um, the great director of photography, set of photographer of this, you know, had that thing going where when you know people who aren't the thing are, are talking, a lot of times their their eyes will have been highlighted with the light, mm-hmm. and the ones that are the thing, you know, their eyes will be in shadow, uh, which is a real subtle thing that you don't necessarily notice on your first watch through, but once you have it pointed out to you, it's you know kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but even that, I, I don't feel like that's a that's a hard and fast rule. That's just you know something they did for for fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and that's I mean, I think that for the most part throughout the narrative, the only one we're we're pretty much left with is McCready in the sense that he's definitely not the thing at any point in the narrative, um, which is I think just uh, much like we talked about with the prequel, um, mm-hmm. which is Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the only character who's definitely not the thing at any given point. You know? Right. Um, our our lead character is is the only one we can trust. Um, right, and uh, and it's a great performance by camera, uh, Kurt Russell. Yeah, um, this is one of those movies where, like, right away they they do so much good work in introducing all the characters quickly, mm-hmm. without you know giving you big expository dubs of this guy is this guy. He came from here. He does this job. You know, Let, let's you, do the Suicide Squad. Everybody gets their own intro. <laughs> right, right, right. Where you see him playing chess against the computer, thinking he's won, and then he realizes he loses, and he just throws alcohol at the thing to kill it. Yeah, I mean, 
what more of an introduction do you need for your lead than that? That's going to tell you all the information you need to know about it going forward. And, and um, they, they do that for almost every character in the next couple of scenes, you know, where yeah. they just paint them so fast and specifically that you're just like, okay, I get this guy, you know? Well, yeah. The moment we, I think the moment that we really understand, we really realize who McCready actually is within the narrative is when they're talking about going to the Norwegian station Mm-hmm. And um, Norris is saying that, you know, yell at, if anyone's telling McCready you were going to fly, and McCready's right. like, I'm not so sure I'm going to fly. Right. And Doc says, Hey, McCready, you, you make the call. You right. know, uh, uh, if you say we don't fly, we don't fly. And he looks at him for a minute and he says, Okay, whatever, we'll go. But I mean, it's, uh, it's, that's the thing when we realize that McCready is not in charge, but he's right. in charge. Yeah. Um, they all, and that tells they, you a lot about, you know, the, I forgot the chief's character, the 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 guy with the gun. I forgot Norris. his name. Norris. Yeah, it shows you about a lot about him too. Where like he's you know, essentially the guy in charge. He's looks like he's ex-military or something. Yeah. But you know, he he's in charge, but he's not afraid to you know realize that he's not in charge of everything. Like if the pilot's not going to fly, what what's he going to do? He's not going to fly himself. I mean, that's not going to happen. He knows to trust these guys with what he what they're good with. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. It's not Norris. Mm-hmm. Norris? No, it no, is that's... not. Um, uh, it's Gary. Gary is the guy in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Norris is the Norris is the guy who ends up uh, chopping the dock in half after the right. big heart attack. Um, yeah. So yeah, Nor- uh, but, Norris is like the geologist or whatever it is on site. Yeah, he has the, right. Yeah, he has the fake heart attack, and, and right. yeah, I got that wrong. But yeah, Gary, Gary is the one who is uh, who's actually, and I think they actually refer to him as Captain at one point, if memory serves. Yeah. But, um, and he's clearly in charge. And then of course there's the uh, the pivotal scene after things have gone bad that he has the gun, right. and they they basically insist he gives the gun to McCready, um, right. symbolizing that they're like McCready is our leader. Not <laughs> right. Um, we and you get the impression from the uh, from the group, they don't particularly mm-hmm. like Gary. Um, right. Nobody seems to. Everybody else seems to get along. They just won't particularly like Gary, and I think we see why with the helicopter scene where he's like telling mm-hmm. McCready what's what, and McCready's like, I don't really have to do what you tell me to do, um, because without my skill set, you don't get out of here. Yeah. You know. Uh, and then the, the, so they show everybody, you know real quick who they are how they kind of relate to one another um they they're more they're they're not a team really as much as they are like you know i guess last week mike had pointed out that uh the prequel was a lot had a lot of like alien slash aliens in it uh i think this one does too i mean there's a lot of oh, yeah. you know they're they're space truckers in antarctica i mean in this i mean they know each other they're friendly with each other they're not terribly close they're you know they're not the kind of guys who probably would, would hang out with one another when they weren't there no most of them yeah i think yeah i think that's true I, I mean i think that there's uh there's obviously a, a connection between the two films i mean even uh, yeah, yeah. the even i don't know if there if it was intentional or not but the the blood test scene is very very similar i was thinking about this uh mm-hmm. just this morning it's very similar to the chestburster scene right um in, in the way that they're both pivotal scenes in the narrative uh, they both are are designed around the concept of, you know, something's going to happen, but you don't really know what. Right. Uh, and they both end up having uh, one of the all-time great shock moments. Yeah. It gets me every time. Yeah. Um, with uh, in, the only, the real primary difference, of course, is in Alien, the chestburster scene begins with something that's very naturalistic. It's very right. uh, relaxed. 
and then says, "Oh, these guys are gonna have a seizure." And when you start, if you watch, when you're watching the film the first time, of course, everybody's seen Alien a million times now. But when you watch the film the first time, you realize you you were kind of like, you don't expect that image. No. Uh, he has a seizure. We're like, okay, we don't know what's going on, and then something bursts out of his chest. And the right. thing he does something similar to something that we he amps up the tension to begin with. He knows he, we we know something bad's gonna happen. We know right. someone's the thing in that group, and that this test is probably gonna reveal that. What he does is set up a very rhythmic uh, with the editing and mm-hmm. and and uh, cinematography creates this rhythm that makes you think that they're gonna get that Gary's gonna be the guy. He says you're gonna you're, you're gonna be last. We're gonna right. as soon as he says that, it's the one that's in his hand. First yeah. up, um, which is a wonderful little misdirect. Um, you don't you don't expect it to happen right away. Yeah. And I do like that they go back to uh, to testing the rest of the blood later, which is a lot of something that uh, yeah. a lot of other movies would have just dropped it after that scare. Yeah, yeah. He he. They they realize they've got something, so they they definitely check yeah. out the rest. Um, Terry Terry, what do you think? How how much uh, alien DNA is in this this movie? Uh, as far as like the actual alien film and how it yeah, relates yeah, to film. it, yeah, I you know, I don't I don't know if there's so much of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's like, you know, you still got that that idea of uh, enclosed in a space that you can't get out of, just like in the right. ship. They can't get out of Antarctica so mm-hmm. easily. Mm-hmm. There's a, there has to actually be a plan to get out of there. Um, there, so they got this creature. They don't know where it is because of hitting in somebody. So I guess that's right. probably where my um, yep. like connections stop. Uh, I, I feel like, especially with Carpenter at the helm here, he really made it a different film. He oh, made absolutely. It a vibe, so. Yeah, I, I think Alien is what, what sold Universal on making the film in the first place. And I think if they had given it to, say, like Toby Hooper, it would have been maybe closer to Alien, although he's got a style of his own that's, you know, different than that. But if they had, you know, just made the film that was the elevator pitch for the movie in the first place, I think it would have been more of an Alien clone than this. But it really turned away from that into something, you know, special in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Would have been interesting to see, at least. Um, Hearing his, uh, like, his treatment for it, it could have been real interesting, Mm -hmm. but I think that's just hindsight now because... You know, yeah. Toby Hooper being the incredible uh, talent that he was as well. Um, it, I just want something else, dude. I love, I love, right. I love monster movies. So, I just, why not more? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the the Toby Hooper pitch thing. Uh, what you guys are referring to? Uh, well, originally they were uh, Universal was the one behind the film. Yeah. Um, and they originally were going to get Toby Hooper to direct it, and I don't know the exact details of why that didn't happen i just know that they were the first choice and then they went to carpenter i see and you you would think knowing carpenter's love for the thing and putting it at halloween that this is that's why they made they made this movie in the first place for carpenter to make it but it turns out no that's not actually the case um Hmm. it was just you know happenstance and kismet i guess i guess i don't know you know yeah um yeah, well, I would love to see what the the Toby Hooper version would be, but I'd love to see more Toby Hooper anything, really. Um, but yeah, so we, we, we get this dog that goes to, you know, the camp and they try to shoot it and they immediately take the dog in because who's not going to take a dog in, uh, you know? That and, that and we've got uh, the character of um, Clark, right. who is clearly, uh, whose job it is, he's clearly the animal wrangler. Right, right. Uh, he... he uh, take care of the sled dogs 
Mm-hmm. And he, he immediately, of course, is, is taken with the dog. He obviously loves right. dogs. So we get that element too, uh, which of course is what makes Clark a uh, number one suspect right off the bat. Right. Um, and of course, which is then subverted. He was never, never yeah. a thing. Uh, and you have a nice little couple of shots of like a like a slasher movie in there with the dogs going around looking looking around at people, yeah. seeing people when they're alone and stuff. I'm like, you know, they got a couple POV shots even. I'm like, there's a little bit of Halloween here in this part of the movie. You know. Yeah. And then we get uh, even Blair, uh, then when talks to Clark, Blair actually says, so you're telling me that dog was just wandering around for like a full day? <laughs> right. Like, okay. Yeah, it's kind of weird that, you know, the animal regular didn't immediately put the animal. First of all, nobody checked out the animal to see if it was okay. It didn't seem. They might have cut that scene. But, yeah, uh, we see Clark um, like check, kind of checked him over. Right. Um, but he didn't put the dog away right away. No, he just let the dog go wherever, and then, you know, later when somebody else told him to, he put the dog up, you know, with the other dogs, and then all hell breaks loose. Well, I feel like Richard Masseur plays that character a little weird anyway. Like, early, even yeah. from the beginning, there's something off about Clark. There's uh, something off about a lot, a lot of them. I mean, yeah. you know, you got the one guy who's apparently, like, you know, in the in the Hell's Angels or whatever, <laughs> Bicycle Club. Mm-hmm. You got the... <laughs> They got the guy whose sole mode of transportation is roller skates. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's a lot of it's a lot of weird personalities here, but yeah, there's something like I, I hesitate to say on the spectrum about, about him, but uh, he's definitely a, a strange guy. The, yeah, there's yeah, there's there. I think that's there. Yeah, right. um, and that uh, he he definitely plays it as a little he's a little off, right? Uh, in one I, in I, some way. I'd like to think that maybe uh, some of these guys are close to the edge of breaking, maybe, you know, right. being on campus as long as they have, they've just become a lot more reclusive. And if, with him yeah. being the caretaker for the animals and that, um, he might just be spending so much time with them now that he's just, he's kind of lost like his love for humanity and yeah. he doesn't really pay any attention to these dudes anymore. Yeah. Yeah. One of the one of the things about this film that maybe could have been fleshed out a little bit more, and I don't think they should add more to this film. I think it's the perfect length and it's the perfect speed, but you never actually do get to see any of them work and it what what any of their jobs are. It's all down it's all downtime for them. Um you know, aside from when they decide to check out the other base, uh you never really get to see what they actually do up there, any of them. No. No, and like I said, I don't think they ever actually reveal what it is they're out there to study. No, um, no which is fine because it doesn't fine. matter. It doesn't matter, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, the uh, uh, I mean, some of them, uh, the, the ones that I think are difficult to tell are like uh, what child, what Childs does, is a little bit difficult to tell. Um, and then I think what was the other guy that I was I was sort of like because Childs kind of plays it like he's a bouncer the whole time. It just is. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> that's, that's a fair statement. Right? <laughs> You know, we don't really know what Benny. I mean, obviously, like there's a couple of guys who get bumped off really early, uh, right. like uh, Fuchs and uh, and Benny's. Right. Um, to that point, we don't really ever know what they do. I mean, my my thought with Childs was either uh, was originally I think it was the idea that he was security that he used right. Uh, however, a, however, but security uh, for what? I mean, this you know, but he just might be the guy who's just who knows how to use the weapons. That could be, yeah. Right. Um and. Uh, you know, but also uh, it occurred to me also he might actually just be the guy who's designed to work with the protein. Uh, yeah. When the when the dog creature attacks, they they yell, "Go get Childs!" Like right. you know, uh, McCready says, "Childs needs to come here and deal with this," um, which me, to me suggests that either one of two things that Childs either is the combatant mm-hmm. or 
uh, or is he's just the flamethrower guy? Well, he's he's definitely combative. Uh, that's, that's yeah. Uh, him and, by, him and boy, McCready, by, uh, the great Keith David. Yeah, uh, who would uh, go on to work with Carpenter again and they live. Um, yeah, uh, get more fight sequences. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it play, basically playing the same character for the most part. I mean, there's, uh, yeah. you know, there's uh, not a lot of difference, I think, between his character in this and the character. In yeah, and he's he plays that kind of weird character where he's not the antagonist, but he's antagonistic against our protagonist a lot of the times. Yeah, um, never, never really unjustifiably. I mean, that, that's no. When, this, uh, when the wheels start coming off, everybody's at each other's throats equally and for equal good and bad measure. <laughs> Well, I think there's some, there's a suggestion that ch- there's Childs is if McCready wasn't there, it would probably be Childs. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that that that's where that antagonism comes from. Is there's a little bit of of dick measuring, right? Uh, where Childs is like I where Childs considers himself sort of the alpha male and is a little bit louder about it, and McCready right. just sort of quietly slouches into leadership by default, right? Um, He's gained the respect of his fellow guys where Childs is a little bit more of a jerk and yeah. nobody really wants to follow him. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that there. I, but, I also, but I think that's the idea is that there's an intelligence to Childs mm-hmm. uh, who he picks up pretty early. In fact, he's the one who kind of says it, I think, in the, initially when they say, okay, we know it can replicate. Right. He's like, how would, you, how would anybody know who I am? You know, you wouldn't know. And they all look at right. each other and then they all look at McCready. Right, Childs is the first one to say, "Well, there's no way, there's no way for us to tell." Right. And that's uh, that's part too. of the reason why I think they're they're played as work friends there because you can't go up to somebody and ask them, you know, yeah, okay, tell me something that only you know you would know if you don't know enough about the person to know something that they would <laughs> only they would know. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they're work friends. They don't, you know, somebody at your at your job who you talk to every day but you're not exactly close to, you know, turns into a replicant. How the hell would you even tell if, you know, they don't talk about their kids to begin with or whatever. If they even have any. Right. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, not their kids, I mean, whatever, you know, yeah. their home life, you know, yeah, what, family, yeah. their internal. And we know these barometer. guys, these guys volunteer for long, what we assume is long tours away from home. Right. Right. Um, there's a, there's a pretty good statistical probability. They don't really have families that much. That's why they would right. volunteer for this kind of job. Yeah. Um, and th- this was talked about in the original story too, that there was, there was possibilities that the thing may not know mm-hmm. past, uh, memories from the person and that, but yeah, right. mannerisms, just the way that you conduct yourself around reading other people and that, right. um, it understands it. So it's also implied that it can read thoughts and absorb the thoughts it, of somebody it as would, well. It would have to because otherwise you'd be able to tell right away that it's not the person. If you just looked like the person, if you looked like Terry, but you talked not like Terry within right. two sentences, we're going to be like, okay who the hell are you yeah if i talked more intelligently they'd be like that's not terry (laughs) right if i didn't throw ums and errs in every sentences like you know paprika i mean people would be like who the hell is this guy and why is he swearing right now (laughs) i mean one would argue and we talked a little bit about this last week as well um that also in this particular case the thing is also uh, relatively adept at throwing people off um i for whatever it it is at least figured out i think rather quickly (laughs) that all it needs to do is just cast a shadow of doubt and the group will destroy itself. Right. Um, and uh, which is really where the film's sort of, you know, human nature elements come yeah. from is the idea that all you need to do is just like, you know, uh, you know, red scare type thing, you know, that okay. your neighbor is a communist. Oh no. Um, right. 
you know, who can you trust? Um, and like I said, if you had developed the idea that these, if like say this was like a family in the Arctic, you would have probably a <clears throat> story. But the idea that these are coworkers, uh, maybe, you know, are all very blue collar, even the ones who have like white collar jobs, like the doctors. Right. There's two doctors. Um, one's a medical doctor and one I, we assume is, I guess, a, something else. Um, Blair is a doctor, but they don't say what he's a doctor of. Right. But he does the autopsy, not the medical doctor. Yeah, which is um, strange. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird. I don't. Yeah, so I've I've never I figured out the difference. I'm like, I but Blair is a doctor. They they call him. He's doctor right. Blair. Um, but uh, but yes, I mean, all it had to do, and it did that this very quickly. Um, uh, with um, oh God, what's his name? The first guy to get bumped off. It was um, he has like like one scene with McCready where he basically says, "I'm pretty sure." I think he said he, he says Clark's must be the guy, must be, not Clark, right? Um, it was um, Fuchs, I think, is the first yeah. guy who has that one scene. You basically forget he's even in the movie. I think after a few minutes, that he's the first one. He goes out to the the cat with uh, with McCready and says, "Right." It's, and I think you remember. I think he says Clark. It's, Clark has got to be the guy. He's the one who's off. Um, everybody thinks Clark is and Clark is actually not, which is kind of funny, but right. Um, but yeah, all you had to do is basically just do that, you know, and, yeah. you know, get one guy to suspect another guy and it's all over. Right. You know? And they, they foreshadow it well, because, you know, what's the first thing that happens after the dog gets there is it, it goes around and it sniffs around and it tries to figure out what's what it nips at least one guy's ankle or something like that he bumps uh, into he bumps into yeah. the guy who was shot he injures right. injures his, who was, uh, but it, it's kind of left open whether or not he infected him at that point or or if he just bumped into him and startled him yeah. um but then uh where where it comes into the microcosm of the whole movie is when they put it in the kennel with the other dogs and he yeah. just kind of sits there looking off into the middle distance like trying to observe things and then the dogs st- start you know noticing something's off with this the dog. dogs almost immediately notice that this not this, not uh, immediately which was yeah. weird to me because um if you take a new dog around old dogs and i don't know about highly trained animals right but they they get real keyed up real quick and start either asserting dominance or trying to play uh, right away when they see another dog i mean um, right. but these are these are working dogs so maybe they're just like ah, i don't give a shit you know but once it's in, in that enclosed space with the other dogs you know they start to key in something's off here and they start freaking out and the dog just you know looks at him for a minute and then, and then starts doing its its thing i, I don't know what else to tell you there. there there is also an audio cue here that happens mm-hmm. actually it's uh it starts like like almost growling or mm-hmm. um like this guttural thing that's coming out of its throat and that's when the dogs are like, what the hell is this thing? And they yeah. start freaking out. And, and, and it's like, strange. <laughs> right. Because at first the, they start reacting with, um, and, you know, antagonism, trying to, trying to, you know, be the alpha dog in the situation for a couple of seconds. And then it turns to fear and panic and they're trying to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Which, yeah. like I said, it's kind of a microcosm for the group as a whole with that scene right there. Yeah. yeah. But, when you guys saw this scene for the first mm-hmm. time, mm. did you know that shit was going to get real this quickly? Or because no. when I saw it for the first time, I freaked. I was like, yes, this is what I need right now. I need right. guts. I need blood. It's this getting is real. W- 
yeah, this is the one of the movies that I have, you know, a short list of movies that I like to call perfect movies where it achieves everything it sets out to do. It's not that every shot, every take is, is right without fault, but it sets out to do everything it wants to do. This is also on one of my list of movies that I wish every time I watched it, I had never seen it before Yeah, because it, I want to feel that same way, you know, as the first time, I mean, you talk about the dogs when he starts transforming, even before that, like the audio cues, when it starts going weird, you're like, Oh, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. And then it starts its transformation and, you know, the effects by Rob Bottin are unlike anything we've ever seen before, really at that point. Um, And truly otherworldly in a way that is very seldom done before or since uh, in a film. And then, Shocking amounts of gore. Shocking amounts of gore, even in the transformations. Um, yeah, it's just, it just goes from zero to 100 so fast that it, it, it blows your mind in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. Go. No, no, please. I was going to say huge credit to uh, Stan Winston for mm-hmm. um, working on this uh, sequence that's coming up here in a moment, too. Like, it is outrageous how much work uh, Boutine had to do for this. Um, yeah. that he actually had to go to the hospital for a little bit for exhaustion. Oh, man. He was working seven-day weeks yeah, right. um, nonstop. He had to sleep on set. And um, so Stan Winston and his crew was called up to take care of a few scenes. And right. the big dog transformation, uh, like the, the big, I guess, pile of dog that happens right. a little yeah. bit is actually yeah. Winston's the dog team. pile. Yeah. yeah. Well, it did be, I believe he started out working for Stan Winston he Studios. Was, I, I believe he was, yes. Robert yeah. Gene, I think, was one of Stan Winston's uh, guys. And right, but let's, yeah, let's talk about that dog effect because this is yeah. the first time outside of, you know, when they found the corpse that was half burned in one shot and not burned at all in another shot. Um, looks too clean in, in, during the autopsy scene, but that's whatever. This is the first real view of the thing that we get and jesus christ man yeah. <laughs> I and mean, that's it starts trying to form into an entire pack all at once and then you know it it starts it forms that weird flesh flower face thing yeah, made, of, goes, dog, like, made of dog tongues and dog teeth yeah but it's like yeah. what the hell you know yeah yeah i mean it's 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 a, an unbelievable image um right. and um and and where well shot when i was watching it last night i noticed um there's a little bit more darkness in that scene that i remember right um to to uh which is used to tremendous effect because i think yeah. that uh, actually in my opinion when you see some of the effects in this movie especially now they don't right. look as great as they might have yeah been. like every time they show back they go back to the autopsied corpse one it's like that's that's a yeah. sculpture i mean even <laughs> right yeah and then even like even some of the moving stuff i actually this right. this film this film's last act actually usually leaves me kind of cold actually which mm-hmm. is kind of a weird thing i guess but um, but part of the idea is that I think that it's, it relies a little bit too much on effects, but yes. that dog, in a, in a couple places. that dog tr- right. uh, transformation sequence is unbelievably well done in right. the sense that they, they keep a lot of shadow on it. Right. Um, and that's, that's a team of professionals working together wonderfully there because yes. you got a director who knows how to direct this kind of stuff. You've got a cinematographer who knows how to shoot it, light it. You've got an editor who knows how to edit it together. You've got the effects crew that, you know, Rob Bottin was, I think, 22 at the time, but he was already a pro. Yeah. Uh, he are, you know, if you get an effects guy to come in and he doesn't know how to tell the director how to shoot this shot right, it's going to look like ass. I mean, it's just... Yeah, who shot? Dean, okay, yeah, Dean, Dean Cundy, Cundy. Yeah, who was the cinematographer. 
went right. on to be, you know, Spielberg and Zemeckis yeah. and yeah. all yeah. that. Jurassic, we talk a lot. Jurassic Park with Ram Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yeah, we talk we talk a lot about the effects of Spielberg on the 1980s and the whole, you know, Spielberg crew of Zemeckis and stuff like that. Well, Dean Cundy's a big part of why the Spielberg look is the Spielberg look yeah. of the time. But yeah, like they all know how to do this thing to the maximum effect here. And it yes. does not miss the mark in this spot. That's for sure. Yeah, and this would have been edited by this was edited by uh, Todd C. Ramsey, who did um, like starting with the motion picture and right, yeah, a lot of really big stuff. So yeah, very, uh, very, uh, very effective crew on this film. Yeah, for sure. So they get so they get that they burn the the shit out of it with the flamethrower, um, and then then we start really the main plot starts where it's you know who do we trust who who's the thing today and who's not and yeah. Well, we get that's in. That's where we get into. Uh, it's it's interesting how this film sort of works because it, it shifts uh, kind of who the narrative is really about. I think a couple of times. Uh, right. Uh, uh, we have a pretty good idea that, that McCready is still our hero, but it jumps to Blair for a good right. 10, 15 minutes as mm-hmm. uh, as the key protagonist, who's the one that figures out yeah this what this thing is, what it's doing. And then has uh, one of my all-time favorite reactions in horror film history, <laughs> yeah. which is grab an axe and just start right. smashing shit. Uh, every, because he every time I watch this movie, I, I underestimate him. I underestimate, um, you know, diabetes, diabetes. As, as an actor. But holy, holy shit, you know, that dude could kick my ass. <laughs> 100%. He does. Um, right. At least three other guys. He is a threat. Age. Yeah. He's like, a threatening he guy. They seem to be he's, like half his age, and they run in there, right. and he just hit them in the head, and they fall down. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, he's, uh, but he has like it's just, it's just a phenomenal reaction where he just realizes he can't trust anybody else. Right, uh, they can't leave, uh, or the world will end in three years. Uh, according according to the chess computer yeah, that he's somehow programmed to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in 1982. Uh, right, but yeah, uh, it said 72,000 hours, which is roughly right. roughly three, three. Yeah, about three years. Um, the entire world will be over. Uh, and so he realizes that the only shot, the only chance they have is to literally die out there right. uh, and take it with them. And so he just has the ultimate shit attack. And it's, right. uh, it's a fantastic bit from an actor who is sort of known for intensity, but not physically. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it was after this when he started, you know, doing the grandfatherly cocoon roles yeah. but you know for people our age we think of him as the the quaker oats guy yeah. you know so it's 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 a different Diabetes. right yeah. and so just to see him like just like be this imposing he's not even six feet tall i think he's like five eight or something so he's not like a mm. huge guy to begin with um but you know he he's got intensity there that you that surprises me every time yeah every time yeah. uh and his performance is nuanced as well like you can just you can see the gears turning and and what he's thinking in every every scene that he's in yeah even if he's not you know being broad with it you know like later when they go to check on him in the shed he's like i I just want to get out of here man can can we just yeah yeah and i think Uh, i think this character change is actually uh it's mm -hmm. there's a good point to it because i believe he's a biologist and um and so without him telling everybody and just going crazy, smashing all the equipment, uh, taking out the helicopter and all that, it makes a lot more sense because why tell one person? Because that one person might be the thing. Right. And right. Tell another person. He already knows what the repercussions of any action is. 
Yeah, like, he knows he knows he's the only one he can trust to do this. And, you know, they don't have time for debate here. They they need to do it now before it's too late. And unfortunately, you know, they lucked out in the end with a couple of mistakes that the thing itself made, you know, but they should have listened to him right away and just, you know, said that's it. You know, we're done. We're just going to blow this whole place up, ourselves included. And, you know, fuck it. No, it's not, nobody, that's, a lot, that's a lot to ask somebody, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And that's why he decided to go just by himself and not even bother. Yeah. It had, you know, aside they're aside not from gonna, the fact he was in full freakout mode and he wouldn't be able to explain it to somebody if he tried at that moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's the entire point is he can't, he, can't trust, he can't trust anybody else to do what has to be done. And he, if, I'm, I'm sure he's not comfortable with it either. You know, he'd right. be like, well, the only way to save the world is for me to die. Right. Um, which, you know, he which, doesn't put a gun in his mouth. He just tries to make it so they can't ever get out. Yeah, and that help that helps to trick us later because you th- you think because of the scene and his reaction that he's you know still him later on in the film when it turns out that he's not. Yeah. At some point after he went into that you know shed, somebody infected him or whatever, um, and he turns into the thing. But that becomes more unexpected because of the way his character acted earlier. Right. So it primes you to think that this guy is on the right side and he's going to stay on the right side because he's been yeah, separated from everybody else. I feel like, yeah, I think if you're probably watching this film completely blind, you would probably think Blair is going to become relevant again in the third act. Right. Um, yeah. Um, that he would be an ally in the Creed later, but then it's, right. it's absolutely not. He's, yeah, he's the final loss. He comes back, yeah, by the time he comes back in, he's absolutely the thing. Right. Um, who had managed to dig a bunch of tunnels and build a spaceship and well, it could, it could <laughs> everything else in a couple it could, days. It could transform into, into anything. We don't, it, right. we don't see what it can, but we don't see what it's doing when it's not on camera. Right. Um, so, I mean, it, it could have easily turned back into a whole bunch of sled dogs or something, or, or right. you know, tore a big giant friggin' monster and just tore these tunnels open. Um, what well, is the big question is how it knew to build a little spacecraft, but um, right kind of comes out of nowhere but yeah that that's one of the few mistakes i think this film has made was that spacecraft built built at the end uh, it was a little bit like what you know what, what are we doing um yeah. it, they could have had a i know it wasn't until the prequel but you know this the spaceship was shown to be kind of functional at the beginning at the end of the prequel yeah. um they could have tried to get back to that or, or something but him to him build this janky little spaceship like he's you know like we're an elf or uh, or ET or Rick and Morty, you know, it's yeah, it's a little strange. Especially um, that they had already established that it wanted to freeze. Um, you know, well, no, first it wanted to get out, but then it realized that wasn't an option. So then it wanted to freeze, right? Then it wanted to freeze because it's like, okay, it's smart enough to know that, okay, well, I can't get out right now, but somebody's going to come looking for these assholes, right? Um, there, this uh, this sequence actually does exist in the original story, though. They mm-hmm. did, he it was making a ship, uh, oh, okay. but. The the grandest at a grander scale, it actually was able right. to like make like a really cool ship that it was able mm-hmm. to get out of our our atmosphere. This, oh, okay. I believe, it was only trying to get to a closer spot for it to absorb some other creature. Like yeah, I didn't feel like this was gonna be some an interstellar craft. I felt like yeah, I was trying to get to the next next house over basically. And even if it tore off like its arm and put it into her into the small right. little like vehicle right. that little thing would have been able to get to something else and then you know yeah because because they establish in this that every part is a whole and right you know 
and this thing is not not afraid to put it put parts of itself in the line of fire to save other parts of itself. Uh, oh, it smart enough, it, yeah, and it's smart enough to know. You know, we talked a little bit in, in the other episode about how smart this thing is, and I think this one shows that it's it's perfectly competent. It's perfectly intelligent. Uh, it's not you know a godlike being, but it, it knows enough of itself and its abilities to know that it can turn against parts of itself. It can try to make somebody think that another one of his things is, is the only one there. So it takes out that one, you know? Yeah. Which is the thing I, which is weird because I, I feel like the ending of the film, like we, we've already talked about the idea that like we have two guys left and one of them might be the thing. Yeah. And I'm like, well, couldn't there be a part of the thing elsewhere? Yeah. It, um, it, I don't know if you know if it's even relevant to really discuss these two guys as I right. mean, like that. It's kind of foolhardy for McCready to just assume I killed all of it. Right, um, yeah. And and that's I don't know if that's just because, you know, nobody needs to see forty five minutes of the movie of them, you know, doing a an inch by inch sweep of the entire compound, burning everything. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean there's no reason to think that, you know, this couple of explosions have destroyed every last bit of that thing. Yeah. Well, the one scene they brought in the dead body of the creature mm-hmm. and right. it still was animated. It, that's what right. killed, um, well, who was it? Uh, it killed the one guy in a chair and it brought it closer. I think that was Fuchs. Um, right. I think it was Fuchs. And it started to uh, assimilate him in that room. It's like, right. so this thing, like the cells aren't completely dead. And it's like, right. that's even more frightening because a small little bit of this thing yeah. could yeah. get something. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, you know, bullets don't work on it, you know, exploding it i don't know if exploding it would be any better like there's a couple times where they set it on fire and then they they throw you know a piece of dynamite and i'm like i'm like why don't you just leave it in the fire (laughs) just leave you're blowing parts of it out of the fire that might not be burned yet um yeah it's it's, how do you destroy this thing it is, is a big question i don't think you can no yeah i think it's one of those it's one of the probably one of the best horror film monsters ever because it really can't be defeated not right. The only way it could be defeated is to be put in cold storage, and and nobody can stumble across it ever. Yeah, and that's that's it. I mean, that's. I guess after you could burn it, but how do you burn the entire thing? You know, without it taking it to the you know, crematorium and putting all of it in there. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, technically, the only way to to really destroy it would have been uh, Blair's theory. You know, mm-hmm. was to kill everybody. Like, right. Um, everybody has to get set on fire. Everything. Yeah, but hope that everybody got you know sufficiently dead to yeah. to take care of it. Yeah, because we see yeah a corpse that was half burned is still enough. Yeah. So let's talk. You guys want to talk about the other big uh, big shock gag in there, which is the 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 heart attack patient. Sure. Yeah. That one gets me. That one's the other one that gets me every time, and I know it's coming. It still gets me every single time. Yeah. It's yeah. just so sudden and shocking. Um, Kind of, kind of related to that. Like uh, Nathaniel, you had mentioned that you thought it was faking a heart attack, where I I think it was actually having a heart attack. Yeah. Like. Okay. Well, I mean, it 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 shows that it perfectly mimics biology. Like these are functional organs in this thing. This it actually bleeds when it changes. It does, you know. Yeah. It, it spews fluids. It does everything. And when it first starts to get the signs of a heart attack, it's by itself. Nobody else is there. And it's just, it's like, ooh, ooh, yeah. what is that? Uh, and then later, now I don't know if it, you know, was how much of it it was faking. He may not have been, you know, 
completely put out by the heart attack. But I think, mm. I think the dude had a bad ticker. <laughs> I yeah. think it just, yeah. I mean, I, I would believe that too, but I, I mean, I did, it specifically sort of, I thought it was why it would have a heart attack uh, right. at that particular moment, because the idea is McCready's literally at that point in the film right. holding dynamite. Yeah. He's going to blow us all up. Um, and uh, he knocks the guy into the wall. Uh, I even even if the thing had perfectly duplicated the uh, the faulty heart, mm-hmm. the heart attack is usually uh, brought on by stress. Right. Um, but it, the sudden shock of getting thrown across the room could have been enough for the heart, and you know it just decided to like, okay, I had this heart attack and my body passed out, and I'm just going to roll with it because I think I can do something with this. Mm-hmm. But if that's the case, why well, didn't have another heart attack when it opens up and rips off a guy's arms? I mean, like you would think that would be a physical uh, toll on the body as well. Well, but, I think I, I think that I think transform transforming in general does take a toll on the monster. Hmm. Um, but I I think it was something that it it didn't plan out entirely. It just it just rolled with it. What do you think, Jared? I I think uh, I think maybe you both have a point here. I I there, there is it is kind of like not truly told to you as a as a a viewer but i think it may just be like well i'm going to absorb this being there are some flaws to it but i need to absorb every being on this base right now right to get further along to get to my goal right and it probably is just a bad heart and a guy and it's like well shit i just took over a body that i can't do anything with so so it's failing him or right i also felt like the the attack with the defibrillator um started off as a defensive reaction anything else like they shock it once and it doesn't do anything and they shock it the next time and that's when it's like ah you know it it attacks it at that point um i i think it may have just been a reaction on its part that's possible yeah yeah i mean how much of this thing works by instinct and how much of it based on intelligence is is something we don't know Um, because we had already you know shown that you know it reacts badly to like you know heat it 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 has a don't touch the sh- the stove reaction like we do right and in the original story the mm-hmm. beasts were actually killed with an electric prod or something like that oh okay they were electrocuted to death and yeah i guess electricity would work you know just as well as as burning if you oh, did it right. yeah anything that can damage molecular tissue I suppose. yeah right uh, so you can put it out in the sun too long and hope it gets melanoma. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, the thing is defeated by cancer. Yeah. <laughs> the corrupted cells. Yeah. Right. Um, but we showed throughout the thing, and I think in the, I don't want to keep going back to the prequels all the time, but like I had noticed because I hadn't watched the this version in a while before I, I watched the prequel for the last episode, but this is way gooier. This is a, uh, the people always talk about the CGI versus practical effects, and I, I don't care as much. I'm not. I'm there for the story. Yeah. Um, but I did notice that, like, the thing I think they screwed up on this was there was there wasn't any blood really in the in the prequel version. It wasn't goopy. It wasn't. Anytime this thing transforms, it's shooting blood everywhere, or or green fluid, or so, yeah, you know, so something. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Like even the first transformation with the dog thing, that thing is just pouring blood everywhere. Yeah. 
which I think shows that it takes a toll on the creature itself. It's losing parts of itself in these transformations. It takes a lot of energy. It doesn't ever seem to enjoy the transformations. It seems like it's in a lot of pain when it's doing it. Um, at least to yeah. me, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think, um, I, I, I certainly don't think that the thing is particularly comfortable. Right. Um, I mean, one, one could even argue if you really wanted to get really intellectual and like kind of reframe the story from the thing's point of view, it's probably a little frightened. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't know what it's doing. And again, we have to consider that this movie versus, uh, now obviously there's a prequel now. Right, right. But that was not in play. Right. Um, and so, you know, we have some late arrival backstory. Um, right, a little. Off of now. But, right. um, uh, but if you really wanted to try and, and reframe that story, you're probably looking at a, at a creature that doesn't know exactly where it is. Right. Um, what it, it, all it wants to do is survive, which suggests a, uh, still a lot of uh, instinct is going on mm -hmm. there. Um, and that probably it wants to do is it wants to use as little energy as possible to do that. Um, so, I mean, right. yeah, you, you would have a creature that probably is not comfortable or happy. And it certainly doesn't even necessarily seem malevolent. No. Um, any more malevolent than uh, if, if you, again, if you really wanted to go in this direction, you know, of uh, the corner corner a panther right you no know, a hunter's corner an animal of uh, it's going to get violent um yeah. because all it wants to do is live um now i mean is that a little off off the beaten path with this particular film i don't know if we're supposed to be cheering we certainly aren't supposed no, to be cheering on but i mean thing, it, it's but... not like it's not like you know the the entity and you know prince of darkness or you know it's not it's not a force that's out there just to be malevolent it's it's a it's yeah. an organism trying to survive by any means necessary it's a virus mm -hmm. it is a virus evil uh, no you know this is a very intelligent virus but it's not you know it's just doing what it does man yeah yeah well there's a there's your uh there's your multi-million dollar uh, uh remake right there you reframe the story from the thing's point of view uh, right it's a it's a scared little boy it's well, a, it's it's that it's yeah. that it's that uh it's going to be the next uh lingwick we've had, now had like two different movies talking about leatherface's troubled past right now we're gonna <laughs> that the thing was like it's right. like the et of his planet you know he was he was picked on a lot when he was yeah. younger well, seeing as neither and neither now he's scared of scared of the bearded men who want to hurt him and right. uh, just, just trying to survive now now that we've had two of these movies that have neither done critically nor financially well in the no. box office i don't think they're going to do a third anytime soon but no, no um but i mean that would be there's your that there's there's your million no god pick. when this in like in like 40 years when this is public domain, yeah. there's your, right <laughs> there's your fan script there's your fan edit right there is uh the uh, thing was just an innocent victim who's like scared, I, scared of the big bully rj mccree yeah i i can't wait to get unreasonably angry at that film <laughs> <laughs> right um <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm gonna get docs now on the internet. How dare you suggest? Uh, how dare you suggest a version of this film where uh, the monster is sympathetic? And Rob right. Zombie is gonna Rob Zombie is gonna direct it too. He's going go. right yeah. on top of it. Yeah, Rob <laughs> Zombie's gonna be on it. They're it's gonna they're gonna get Ken Foray to play the thing itself, just to just to run around in a in a goop suit. Yeah, the thing is, yeah, we'll, we'll focus on the thing and his mom, and uh, his mom will uh, will tell him he's a special boy. And, yeah, but at least we're gonna see it. Get to see his mom's tits because it'll be Sherry Moon. So, 
That's enough, sure. I'm sure they're going to look real good at that time, too. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, so, yeah, we mentioned uh, – uh, what else? What, what else do we want to mention about this? I mean, it's a it's a virus. It's not for its own sake. Uh, it sees us as food and a, and a transmission device. It, nothing more. Does it? Yeah. Them? I guess. I guess it eats them. And there's, there's it would have to because digestion is stated. But they yeah they show that it they, they show require, that it's digesting. But does it yes. require sustenance? Uh, I would say yes because physics still apply to this creature. Hmm. But you know it may not be a digestive system such as we're thinking of it i mean yeah yeah i mean it's 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 a it's a fun thing to kind of think about because it is it, it is seriously one of those things we think about an alien species right we tend to uh, to put to to anthropomorphize right and this is uh, the opposite of that and it's sort of like in reality an alien species is is actually this is probably one of the more realistic in theory Right. In species, because it's something that works very differently than human beings do, um, and so you can't really chart out its thought process that well because it's right. completely alien. It doesn't think. And it. and the other thing is, you know, when it whenever it takes, I, I didn't. I almost said it's true form, but we don't know it's true form. We don't know. I mean, we never. Even the stuff that doesn't look like it's from Earth looks like it's just cobbled together from other species that we haven't met yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it breaks character of being a human it doesn't speak after that point usually it just screams it just yeah. it just shouts in rage so it's yeah there's nothing that we can wrap our minds around with on this how this creature works i mean and i think that's a really good choice that is never really done that well in science fiction that often well again i, I, might, I might harken back to the xenomorph Right, uh, the Alien franchise, which was again very uh, animal. animal. Yes, um, uh, but it was also you know a human shaped thing because of you know how, it's it's hard not to have a monster that's a guy in a suit because that's just the the most cost effective way to do it. Sure, um, but then later entries in the Alien series kind of made it a little more human in each one, which was a mistake. Um, you know, by bringing in the Queen, who's an intelligent creature not just an animal um mm. but yeah it's how would you how would you describe this creature to somebody who's never seen the thing i mean you just well, probably sentient virus right yeah uh there's actually a line you know I mean, it's a it's a pretty terrible movie but uh sphere has some mm-hmm. fun has some fun conversations in it about uh where they actually say maybe we shouldn't open the door to the spacecraft and they're like why and right. they're like, well, uh, Samuel Jackson sitting there going like, "Well, a creature that can't be killed would wouldn't think killing is right or wrong. It just wouldn't simply have a concept of it, right. um, you know." And then uh, Sharon Stone basically says, "Well, what if it's a sentient virus?" And right. by by fact that it exists, it caught, it kills other things, and it uh, it doesn't mean to. Was that was that based out of Michael Crichton? Yeah. So yeah, the Michael Crichton stuff has has shown that a few times. I mean, it had the Andromeda strain, which was one of his big first hits. Yeah, uh, another virus from outer space. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, so this 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 movie's been often uh, homaged or <laughs> ripped off. Of, is, there any, is there any good versions of uh, homages ripped off that you guys would think of for, uh, with this movie? I immediately thought of the X Files episode Ice. Um, that one's not bad for a forty-three minute TV version of this film. 
And I just recently saw that for the first time. Oh, yeah? I've, I've started the, uh, the series from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I literally just had this discussion with my buddy about that episode. He's like, I had shown him the thing for the first time. He's a 37-year-old film enthusiast, and he had never seen this film. I'm like, dude, and his favorite movie, one of his favorite movies of all time is Alien. So I'm like, why have you not seen that? So it's not like he's a guy who doesn't like genre. He's never got into that one. And then he's like, this is exactly like the episode of the X-Files. I watched it that night. It was just next in the series. I still remember when I watched it watched that episode when it first aired you know when i was in high school and i was like so angry at that episode for wasting my goddamn time uh, like because you know kids back in those days uh you got one hour of a tv show a week yeah. uh, and, and it wasn't all year round it was you know a lot of weeks there would be a repeat or nothing at all yeah um and i remember being like so mad because we're only like eight episodes into the show and they're already doing a ripoff of one of the movies i've seen a thousand times in love <laughs> like god damn it but now looking back at it, i'm like this is actually not a bad adaptation of this no. kind of the same thing yeah i i love i love that you would add that in the like, kids back in the day we only because <laughs> right. uh, it's well, true i it, i've explained so that true. to a lot of people a lot of times you know yeah. when when you're watching a show week to week you really come at it differently than if you're if oh you're, yeah you have to be, you have to be invested like you can, right like if, like recently if i just watched um uh sam knows this we're, we're uh, sam and i are talking facebook and i i just uh i binged watched american horror story apocalypse right i hated every minute of it but right. it, but it was all there right so i wasn't getting i i could just be like whatever i'll just get through this um yeah. it, versus back when it was um uh before american horror story was bingeable i right. there were seasons of that show i actually decided to skip because uh, I watched like a few episodes and was like, this blows. Right. Um, or like when we were doing our uh, Supernatural episodes, you know, yeah. I had mentioned that like, you know, we used to like every other year, we would spend a, spend a season watching it week to week and then we'd get angry with it. Yeah. Uh, as watching it week to week. And then we would just, the next season we would just binge it and we'd be fine again. And then we'd go back to watching it week to week and we'd get like annoyed with it again. And now you have like, yeah, you have choices now. Like one right. Division just came out and I'm like, should I watch it or should I wait till there's a bunch of it? watch it all at once and that's such an absurd thing and i was like you know 10 years ago that wasn't an option mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean it's 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 fun that it's funny now that uh the the way streaming services have changed yeah. does you really have I, I wouldn't go back to the old ways for anything in the no, world no no why would you the choices are so so much better now <laughs> to the but, point where and, people and, like one division's a great example that people are, are complaining online that it's not all there right, right. Now. it's like right. well, welcome to welcome to my world yeah, I or remember, like I remember when you know, that was normal. You know, you have people who are still like you know wistful for the days of VHS. I'm like, first of all, that's a that's a terrible format. Um, it's not good audio visual wise. Yeah, I love VHS, but part of the appeal is that it's garbage. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of lot of things that have never made the jump off of VHS yeah. that you can only get on VHS still. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, you know, people like, like, oh, I miss going to the video store. I'm like, yeah, I do. I kind of miss going to the video store and finding things. But at the same time, I can go online and find everything. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's kind of a digression. I was, I was trying to ask if there's any versions of knockoffs, homages, other kinds of these things that, that you guys enjoyed. Off the top of my head, I can't really think of any. I mean, I know that there have been several, but I, I can't think of any right now. Did either of you guys play the PlayStation 2 game? I think it was the PlayStation 2. 
I did not. Um, I mm. heard it was actually quite a bit of fun. I think it was it on was. the original Xbox as well. But yeah, I, I heard it was a lot of fun. It was kind of neat because I haven't played it since it was new or since it was new to me because I think I bought it when it was like 10 bucks at the record exchange or something. Uh, it was one of the first games I remember having a trust meter. Like you had to have that your team members trust you yeah. by making good decisions, you know, giving them weapons, giving them health packs as needed, or they would frag you. <laughs> they would literally turn on you and kill you if you didn't do it right. Yeah. Um, it, was a, it was a neat little survival horror game at the time. I was curious if anybody else had. That sounds it. familiar. Maybe I had played a little bit of it. Maybe I rented it or something right. back in the day. I don't know. I, uh, I can't remember. It does sound familiar. I remember the truck. I can't wait. I can't wait to dive into the board game. I heard the board game's a lot of fun. I have it. I, I had bought it a couple of years ago, and then, like, the night that people were supposed to play it, I think we had, like, a snowstorm, and it never actually occurred. Is that so like... I never played it. <laughs> you never played it because there was ironic. a snowstorm? Yeah. Right. I mean, no, they weren't able to come over, and by the time we... <laughs> oh, you know, shit. Whatever reason, I right. never played it. And so oh, I do nice. have it in storage somewhere, but I've never actually... Is that, like... A... Is that like Secret Hitler or like where one of the one of you is uh, the killer and you have yeah. to figure out who it is? Or? I think one of one of the people does play. One of the people ends up randomly playing. So the idea is it's supposed to be more fun because I think it's actually not just one person. I think it's like right. a couple of different people end up being the thing. Okay. And uh, make decisions um, based around that idea. Okay. And you have to figure out like who's who and, and right. try to survive. And you have things you do. But I mean, I like I said, I never actually played it. But it looks what I've read. It's actually a lot of fun as well. Um, oh, that's one thing I did want to mention. Like you mentioned decisions, and I'm, uh, this is a this is one of the rare movies where I think most of the decisions made by characters in the movie are at least realistic and usually not the stupidest decision you could make. No, uh, there's not a whole lot of plot stupidity in in this movie, other than you know gut reactions to to events not being thought out maybe mm. that well. Yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that, uh, that no. really struck out. Stuck you know, there's no like, oh, I heard a weird noise. Let me go investigate by myself. Yeah. You know, none of that crap. Yeah, Unless it's not quite like the traditional slasher film where it's like, well, I may as well go upstairs since I'm being chased. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there is there is a lot of talk, you know, here and there about, you know, their tactics they're going to use or whatever, but it's not like explaining it to idiots it's ever it's ever it's the characters getting on the same page like okay we're gonna go in teams we're gonna use you know the buddy system mm -hmm. what happens if one of your buddies the thing i don't know fucking deal with it <laughs> you know assimilate like, this this is <laughs> this is all we have to work with let's just do the best we can with it and i that's also another refreshing thing about the film to me that's good every time i see it you know yeah well i want to mention the kind of one last thing and then we we Ooh. uh we gotta start wrapping up um uh, which is it's, for me the, what makes this film really work um, is more like is more of the quiet moments for me. It's, right. it's McCready talking on the on the tape recorder of uh, you know the the meme that has since come around in about like 2020 or 2021 right. or now. It's, it's always relevant now. Yeah. But I've like of him saying like uh, nobody trusts any nobody trusts anybody now. And we're all very tired. Right. Um, I mean that moment or uh, or Blair when they lock Blair in the uh, in the shack and he mm -hmm. says you know watch Clark watching close you know uh these those little moments of, of deep gravitas and deep yeah uh, it's uh, it's not afraid to give you a little lull to give you a little more character work or a little yeah. more stuff and to me that's stuff. that movie is what sells the film for me i think if it were just like a big monster screaming and stuff i wouldn't be into it um right. but i mean what, what yeah, it would have been an easy decision for them to make to 
to make the monster like a boulder rolling down the hill. It's just once it starts, it never stops. And they're, yeah. they're smart enough to not do that because you'd lose all the tension. You'd lose all the yeah. the what ifs and the what abouts, you know, yeah. is this person that or. Yeah. I just wanted to call out. The, yeah. Uh, the, we're all, we're, uh, the, the uh, nobody trusts anybody now. We're all retired. Thing. Well, but yeah. I shared that meme last night. Cause how can you not when you're yeah. watching it? <laughs> yeah. It, it's so relevant to modern era. Yeah. Like, uh, nobody trusts anybody. And we're just all, as relevant today as when it was written. I mean, yeah. Carpenter has always had a little bit of uh, anger at society or a little, oh, yeah. you know, a, a, a social satire streak. And that's, how he worked it into all the best i think think all the best uh horror filmmakers of what we usually call the masters of horror all had a little bit of an iconoclastic uh uh this uh, malcontent uh mentality towards society that uh, made their films work um and this film is absolutely another uh i mean obviously the the thing from the world was sort of made during the kind of mccarthy era Mm -hmm. um you know this film is is clearly is ronald reagan i'm sure there's some of that in there um you know there's there's that element of you can't trust your neighbor you can't trust your coworker. you can't i mean even you know i also think it's interesting and maybe uh terry maybe you know if this is the, the original story or not they didn't make the other base a Russian base. They made it a Norwegian base. It would have been real fucking easy to make it like, oh, this is from the Russian base because the Russians are the other side in every one of these movies. Surprisingly enough, they didn't even have another base. Oh, okay. okay. The story was told straight from the base uh, that they were on. And it was a large base too. So they get right into the meat of it. They found okay. this thing in the ice. They dug it out, and now they have it. That's where the story begins. Right, right when they have it in. in did their you already base. have a working knowledge of the story, or did you read it in the lead up to this? Uh, I actually, um, I had been wanting to read it, okay. um, but I just recently uh, did the audio book just to to make sure that I knew the mm-hmm. the proper notes for comparison, if needed. Because I, I I really thank you for for doing that because I did have a lot of questions about reading the book, but I did not enough to apparently spend the time doing so. <laughs> Yeah, it's fantastic. I Thank mean, you like, for bringing that to the table. Um, yeah. It helped a lot. Uh, yeah, I keep. It's one of those things I keep meaning to to read, yeah. just like I keep meaning to rewatch the original film, and I never seem to get around to it. You know, it's incredible. I grew up uh, in a household where, um, like, black and white films were shown at right. like nausea almost. So, like, a lot of the Atomic Age stuff was like what I cut, what I was cutting teeth on. So, okay. like, the Didier stood still, the original Blob them right. this movie was one of my favorites the thing from another world yeah so uh it you know, i'm very thankful to be on this podcast talking about one of my favorite movies of all time so and one of my favorite directors too i yeah. John carpenter is the man yeah he really is a fantastic filmmaker yeah, yeah he's up there with me I'm, i never have a, i never say i have a favorite but he's up there with you know lynch and romero for me um yeah. almost all of his stuff is just a good time for me to have yeah uh final thoughts anybody you want to sell anybody on uh, a different version of this do you want to tell people who haven't seen it to go get out of their house and well stay in their house because it's still COVID going on stay yeah. in your house and watch it yeah definitely uh it's a it's a it's really a Vanessa. i can't imagine anybody's listening to this podcast that hasn't seen anything right um if you uh, have seen it watch it again maybe watch it's it again. time uh, it's time yeah um yeah, I mean, I think it's a great film. I think uh, I think that there uh, there's a few spots in it that maybe kind of lull a little bit, but other right. than that, like uh, um, uh, I think it's just a, it's a really interesting character, uh, interesting film with a bunch of interesting characters who are uh, both relatable, but also while being somewhat broadly sketched, 
um, okay. um, and uh, and just uh, just really stellar special effects. I mean, obviously, yeah. uh, Rob Bottin was was an ex was a was a hell of a craftsman. Terry, how about you? Any final uh, final words? So my, my final thoughts would be is if you if you enjoy this movie, if you love this the premise of it, there's a few other films that maybe maybe you haven't found out yet, haven't mm-hmm. really dove into them. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, always. Right. Uh, I mean, check out each version of it. But mine we've, is the. We've made it through version. those whole podcasts that we didn't even mention Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is in its DNA as much as anything else. Yeah, yeah. just seventy minutes uh, right. uh, remake was really excellent. Yeah. Not a not a not a very good film, but the the Puppet Masters with Donald Sutherland mm-hmm. is actually pretty pretty fun because it has a certain premise that like not trusting people in that too. And then when you're to answer your question from earlier, there was a Val Kilmer film from about mm-hmm. ten years ago called The Thaw. Yeah, and it was about uh, a disease that it. they found in the ice, and it's actually a pretty interesting movie. Not great, but it's fun. Splinter would be another one I'd bring up, maybe. Uh, Great film. That was kind of like the thing in a gas station, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah very good film. Mm-hmm. All right, so Terry, where can we find you online if uh, if we want to hear more about what you're doing? Okay, so to plug uh, my other podcast here, uh, Paul and I, uh, mm-hmm. Paul Stedman, do a podcast called Strange Highway, Highways Podcast. Uh, we are on Facebook and Instagram, and if you wanted to check me out on Instagram, I am pumpkinfreak216. All right. Thanks cool. so much for coming on. Uh, appreciate it. Absolutely. Appreciate all the work you did for this podcast. I feel like a, a schlub now. I didn't even read a book for it. <laughs> you called the right guy, man. Seriously, uh, I, I adore uh, this film, and and I, like again, I thank you guys for having me on here. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for being on. Um, Great to have you. Let's do it again sometime soon. Definitely, definitely. So uh, we're on uh, at the Devil's Balls on Twitter at doubles underscore eighteen. If, uh, if you happen to be listening to this from a different direction, please follow us on Twitter. Um, we are also on Facebook. And uh, I am Nathaniel. I am at Film Hertz on Twitter. And I'm also on Facebook as uh, Nathaniel Johnson. I'm Sam Al. I'm on Twitter at Sam Al, but I'm not there that often. But if you look me up on Facebook, uh, I'm there as well. That's where I spend most of my days. Uh, and so, uh, as, uh, as always, we'll sign off by saying... Um, uh, we do it all with love. Hope we, uh, uh, love yourself, love your fellow horror fans, um, and uh, stay safe out there. Um, we are we nobody trusts anybody, and we're all very tired. Um, <laughs> and uh, we get that. Uh, so so take care of yourselves um, and uh, those close to you. And uh, thank you very much for listening, as always. And uh, we'll catch you on down the road next week. We've got a uh, our last snowed in film. Um, which is going to be a lot of fun. The uh, mini series of uh, Storm of the Century that's going to yes. be up coming next week. Um, and uh, so, with that, uh, thank you very much. Good night and namaste. Oh,